The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, a preview of the Words, Ideas, and Thinkers Literary Festival, which begins next week at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox. We'll talk with the director of the Authors Guild, who put on the Wit Festival, Lynn Bolger. And a new Franklin County spot to taste wine with our Wine Thunderdome. We'll taste at the only store in Leverett with a level two sommelier whose wine queer career was interrupted when their bodies stopped cooperating. But it is live music Friday here in the Fabulous 413, and joining us is the group opening up Mill Pond Live in East Hampton this evening, San Salvador. San Salvador is a musical collective from the village of San Salvador in, in France that sing in the Occitan language. Occitan polyphony is the starting point for the six-voice and percussion collective rooted in the region's deep troubadour traditions and circulating between cultures and musical genres. And they are playing tonight in East Hampton. Welcome to Live Music Friday on the Fabulous 413 San Salvador.
Salvador, who are playing at Mill Pond Live. That was open massive! Up. It was the Enigata de Vida of Occitan folk music right there. That was incredible. It was a workout with just watching you sing through that. It was six voices and two drums and a tambourine, and it was like heavy metal. I know. And uh, it was so went cool. all over the place rhythmically. Oh. It was unbelievable. Um, we're going to talk to the festival curator in just a little bit, but before uh, we let this incredible band go, Occitan, also known as the the Langua d'Oc. Langua d'Oc. Is that where your village in San Salvador is from? Or, or is. is? Yeah, well, Occitan uh, is uh, uh, spoken uh, from all over south of France, uh -huh. a little bit north of Italy, a little bit north of Spain. And our village, San Salvador, is situated at the north limit where uh, Occitan is spoken. We're drinking a French wine from Languedoc <laughs> later in the show, so that's just <laughs> perfect. Does, does we got a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, does Oc mean yes? Yeah. Okay, good, because all my wine snob friends have been telling me this for years. That's the language of yes, which I think is just a beautiful kind of mentality. And we say yes to that incredible music that San Salvador has brought to us today. And that you can catch this evening at Mill Pond Live, which we'll talk more about just after the break. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. <laughs> There you go, Please, you take it. <laughs> I'm Khalees Smith. <laughs> That's Monty Belmonte. And we're talking with Ido Moore, festival curator of Mill Pond Live, which starts this evening in East Hampton. And first of all, this lineup is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thanks, Khalees. Uh, that was, wow, I just could not believe that it's going so amazing in the studio just now. Right? Yeah, it was incredible. And tonight's the first night. Tell us who else besides the band we just heard, San Salvador, will be on stage tonight. Yeah, uh, so tonight we have, it's uh, in the tradition of offering a really sort of global lineup on one of their Milpon nights. We have uh, two other bands playing. One of them is from Ethiopia. It's another, like, eight-piece band uh, featuring traditional meets modern contemporary styles of Ethiopian music with dancers and just uh, kind of its own special ecstatic thing, very different from what you just heard. Um, and after that, to close out the night, we have a 12-piece orchestra from Switzerland called Orchestra Tupuissant Marcel Duchamp. Uh, that's like two drum kits, two marimbas, a string section, a horn section. They're, they're absolutely bonkers, and it is going to be an amazingly fun show. Which is to say, we just heard the smallest group that is going to be on stage <laughs> at Mill Pond this evening. Yeah, and they sounded so big. Then so, then Saturday, Ido Moore from Mill Pond, you've got... Um, some valley legends in the young at heart chorus uh who are performing but who else will be there at mill pond live in on saturday right so we have the young at heart chorus uh who i hope everyone has had a chance to see and if not you can do it tomorrow um and you know to, to be part of this ensemble you have to be like at least 70 years old and they're they're just amazing they play all kinds of music that you know and love uh and then we have john cleary and the absolute monster gentleman uh coming Such from new orleans thing as that you might have caught them at Green River. They're super fun. And if you didn't, this is your opportunity. Yes. Don't miss them. Yep. And then to close out tonight, we have Luis Cato, uh, best known for being the band leader of the Stephen Colbert's Late Show. Yeah. He's going to be on 
Used to be John Baptiste, so we never know where this guy could be going next as well. John <laughs> Baptiste is having a dynamite career uh, post Colbert as well. So, and then Sunday, uh, what's happening at Mill Pond Live for free but by reservation or with donations at uh, Mill Pond Park in East Hampton? Yeah, so on Sunday we handed the curation over to uh, really legendary Irish guitarist John Doyle to host uh, East Hampton's Irish Fest, which is back after. Uh, a few years of, um, of break, and uh, he's he's bringing a host of artists uh, connected to Solas, which is a really well-known Irish group uh, that you probably know about. Um, Lily Henry and Duncan Wickle, uh, Mick McCauley will be there, Liz Knowles and Kieran O'Hare, um, so it's going to be amazing as well. It's amazing, Ito, that you and Laudable and everybody that puts this on works so hard to try to get music from all over the globe into our backyard here in the 413 and being able to present it for donations uh, and with reservations at millpond.live is uh, pretty incredible. Tonight it begins the Millpond Live series with Orchestra Tout Poussant Marcel Duchamp, Ethio Color, and the band who joined us earlier in the studio for Live Music Friday and knocked our socks off San Salvador. Thank you to San Salvador, who's still in here with us, and to Ido Moore from Laudable for Mill Pond Live at millpond.live. <laughs> On the way, a new Franklin okay. County spot to taste wine with our wine thunderdome. We'll taste at the only store in Leverett with a level two sommelier whose wine career was interrupted when their body stopped cooperating. And up next, a preview of the Words, Ideas, and Thinkers Literary Festival, which begins next week at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox. We'll talk with the director of the Authors Guild, who put on the Wit Festival, Lynn Bolger. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. If brevity is the soul of wit, this will be the shortest festival in history. Well, it's only That's... been around for the, this is its second year. The Wit Festival, Words, Ideas, and Thinkers, presented by the Authors Guild. It's happening in Lenox, Thursday September 21st through Saturday, September 23rd. And joining us from the Authors Guild Foundation is Lynn Bolger, who's the executive director. This is an incredible looking festival when you look at the lineup. I know the authors on the who are coming to run workshops are, there's such good pedigree. And uh, <laughs> one of whom is a former poet laureate who will be joining us on the fabulous 413. Uh, but Lynn, first off, tell us what is the Authors Guild, if people aren't familiar with it. Oh, good morning and thanks for having us. The Authors Guild is the oldest and largest professional organization for writers in the country. And we are an advocacy organization. We advocate for writers, protect copyright, fight piracy. We also educate America's authors so that we have a diverse and robust literary landscape. The WIT Festival has been going on only Twice. This is the second uh, time. So now you can call it the second annual as opposed to the inaugural. It'll be at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox. And the theme this year is called Changing the Narrative. Tell us about the theme. There's a sort of social bent to the, the Wit Festival. And we're really an ideas festival more than a literary festival. We like to take issues that are sort of at the forefront of what's happening in social spheres and political spheres. Last year, our, our theme was reimagining America. This year, changing the narrative means 
that we're really trying to look at issues from various perspectives, some super personal, the way we look at our parents or ourselves. And others are more how we look at America's literary landscape, but also issues of crypto and big tech AI. One of the most obvious changing the narrative sessions we have is with Michael Cunningham, who wrote The Hours, reimagining Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. And then The Hours was made into a movie with Meryl Streep and Julianne Moore and Nicole Kidman. And now Renee Fleming asked, hey, this would be a a fantastic opera. And that was premiered last year at the Met. So that's really changing the narrative of this. And Michael Cunningham will be there as part of the, the festival. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the speakers and interviewing him is the novelist Roxanne Robinson, who is a Wolf scholar. This is only the second year of the festival. What's changed from last year, your inaugural year, to this year where you're already establishing a theme of changing the narrative? Well, let me just say from a personal standpoint as the organizer and the sort of founder, it's a lot easier this year. I mean, (laughs) oh my God, we, you know, you reinvent the wheel, but people in the Berkshires, other heads of nonprofits to the bookstores, so helpful. You know, we basically made this out of nothing. And as I was saying to you, Monty, like I live in Maine, the Authors Guild headquarters is, is in New York. So I knew from nothing, like, Berkshires is how, where it is that? Like, what are the, so. <laughs> I heard about it in a James Taylor song and that's it. I, yes, yes. Those Berkshires, same dream like. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally easier because all of these people came to help in the first year, but we were just figuring out what it was going to be like. A lot of the programming though, however, there is the same. It's free and open to the public. You do have to register. And I'm sorry to say or happy to say that the festival is so well received that six out of the nine sessions are full with waiting lists. And that's great. There's nine sessions this year. There were seven last year. So we're trying to grow it. And we're also trying to bring in educational components. The Lenox High School is bringing 45 kids to one of the sessions. Wow, that's great. Cool. Yeah, yeah. We're thrilled about that. AI in the metaverse session with Jonathan Taplin. And then John is doing a talk back with the high school students alone underneath the tent down at Shaken Coast. Yeah, so a lot of the elements are the same. We're trying to continue to keep it free and accessible to everybody so that everybody can join the conversation, whether or not you have the means to do so. So many of these ideas festivals, the tickets are really expensive, but the Authors Guild really wants to keep it accessible so everybody can join the conversation. And we're having a conversation with Lynn Bolger, who's the executive director of the Authors Guild Foundation. It is a huge foundation of authors, the largest and oldest, I believe, uh, in the country with over 1,300 participants. And the WIT Festival, Words, Ideas, and Thinkers, is happening at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox Thursday, September 21st through 23rd. It's free. Seven of the nine or six of the six, nine, six, are, six of the nine. Are already booked. But what are, what are some of the ones that people could still get involved with if they, uh, if they don't hesitate? 
There are three on Friday that have space left in them, which makes sense because, of course, most of us work, right? We have to work for a living. Um, But one is Parents on Paper with the fabulous Emma Straub, who has written a number of novels for adults, but also recently a children's book. Emma and her husband, Mikey, own Books Are Magic in Brooklyn, the bookstores. They just opened a second. And Maya Schoenbach-Lang, who wrote the memoir, What We Carry, about her mom and her relationship. Emma wrote This Time Tomorrow, which is a fictionalization of her relationship with her dad, who's now passed. The other two that are open are Rita, Rita Dove and Andre Bernard. Rita is... I can't believe that uh, one still has space. (laughs) I can't either. I was a creative writing major in college. I did an MFA. She was an icon to me. You know, she has won the Pulitzer. There's nothing this woman can't do. She's written screenplays, librettos. In fact, she has a song cycle that John Williams did Mm -hmm. last year or the year before. Anyway, you guys will talk to her soon. Yes, we will. Um, I'm just sort of fangirling that I get to meet her. (laughs) And then at 10 30 in the morning, Margaret Verbal, whose first novel was a finalist for the Pulitzer. It's Maud's line. Margaret is a member of Cherokee Nation. All of her novels, I think she's on her fourth or fifth. The most recent one is Stealing, about um, Native American uh, girl being taken and put into a Christian school and sort of robbed of her language and, and ways, traditional ways. Margaret is speaking with Oscar Hokea, who is the author of Calling for a Blanket Dance, also a member of Cherokee Nation, and they're buds, she told me. <laughs> there. So that's going to be a great conversation, and that's titled Who Are NDNs, Indians Anyway, and why does it matter? Those three still have space if you call before midnight tonight. At- <laughs> <laughs> this is all part of the WIT Festival that the Authors Guild presents, Words, Ideas, and Thinkers. It's Thursday, September 21st through Saturday, September 23rd at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, and we're talking to the executive director of the Authors Guild Foundation, Lynn Bolger. I know one of the things that the Authors Guild focuses on is protecting free speech and freedom of expression, and we are living in an age where we're having an unprecedented amount of censorship in regards to literature. What's your perspective, and thus, I guess, the Authors Guild's perspective, on what's been going on in libraries across the country? Yes, speak for the whole organization. Well, she is the executive director, so that's kind of your role. Yes. Well, I am the executive director of the foundation, which is the sort of charitable and educational arm. And my boss and colleague who, who's badass, if I can say that on yes, the radio, yes. Mary Rasenberger, <laughs> is a copyright attorney. Let me just say that we're up to eight attorneys on our staff and lobbyists. And we have spent the last two or three years now as this banned books movement has really picked up speed and moved from elementary school libraries into public libraries and whole states. We have spent untold hours writing amicus briefs, taking states to court, being part of 
a coalition. We have on our website a sort of toolkit for you to, you know, write a letter to your legislature. Um, here's what to do if this happens in your school. Here are the organizations that are working with us to fight banned books. We had a year-long banned books book club on fable.co. It's kind of a crazy time right now in publishing to be a writer. Another big issue we're working on is AI, which is a massive copyright infringement because those large language models that have fueled chat GPT were just scraped from pirated websites. So novelists' work were just put into the machine uh, without their consent or compensation. It's a it's a kind of a nutty, nutty time. Weird to go back to this at this point in the conversation, but Lynn, how did you come to be involved in the Guild? I sort of came out of retirement to do it. My husband and I were planning to retire at the end of 2019, I think, 2020. Roxana Robinson, the author and novelist, said to me, come over here and be the executive director of this. I said, Roxana, look, I'm I'm retiring. It's time for me to, you know, put on a backpack and take my gap year finally. And she said, you know, if you could just do this, I had been working for College of the Atlantic and Bar Harbor, Maine. And one of the things that I did there was run at the Ideas Festival called the Summer Institute. So when I joined the Authors Guild, they're like, oh, hey, could you do an Ideas Festival for us too? And I'm like, well, sure, but where would you put it? New York City. <laughs> New York City does not need another Ideas Festival. They have the 92nd Street Y. They have the Penn World Voices. They have the New Yorker Festival, et cetera. So we happily landed in your neighborhood and have not looked back. It is a wonderful place. But it's such an interesting thing. Everybody wants to focus on a different issue. Like, could we do one about the environment next year? I mean, that's one of the amazing things that people will say, like, how do you choose the topic? How broad does it have to be? So we think about that. And we're really excited about the opportunity to work maybe with Simon's Rock and other sort of colleges, Mass College of the Liberal Arts, right? Or some other schools to embed these educational components within the local schools to get younger people and, you know, just a, a broader scope of people to come and be part and to hear their voice. Cool. It's the second annual Wit Festival, and we'll see what the third annual has in store next year. <laughs> Currently happening at Shakespeare and Company, September 21st through 23rd, presented by the Authors Guild. Lynn Bolger is the executive director of the Authors Guild Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you both, and look forward to having our sessions on your show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Coming up, a new Franklin County spot to taste our wine with in our Wine Thunderdome. We'll taste at the only store in Leverett with the Level 2 sommelier whose wine career was interrupted when their body stopped cooperating. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. 
This may be one of the more idyllic places where we've entered the wine Thunderdome Police because we are at the Leverett Village Co-op. It is a general store in Leverett, right on the border with Shutesbury, right near Lake Wyola, with one of the good old times. Past like four fawns, and I had to take a task from the Snow Queen to get here. <laughs> if it's a war, Aslan wants, it's a war he shall get. Well, you've entered Narnia, where they have one of those old-timey, what do they call those? Merry-go-rounds? They're merry-go-rounds. But not yeah. the kind like you see with horses on it, That's the ones where- carousel. No. That's a carousel. Yes. That's yeah. the difference. Okay, yeah. cool. This is the, the, this is the get, DIY. Yeah, you get head injuries on this one. Uh, that's what I love about it. Bring your kids here like the olden <laughs> days and give them a head injury on some playground equipment. But we're here to drink wine <laughs> with my friend Ken Washburn, who lives in my town of Turner's Falls. That's right. And who has an amazing story in regards to their career in wine and buys incredible wines for this tiny little general store that's like a coffee shop and <laughs> chips and deli to go and cigarettes and then incredible wines. I don't want to say it's in the middle of nowhere because if you live in Leverett, it's the middle of everywhere. But anytime I come here, I feel like I'm on vacation. Ken, tell us the story about how your mom pressured you <laughs> into being a wine snob. I had just dropped out of college. I was 20 years old and I am breaking this cork right now. We'll let you get that out. So I had just dropped out of school. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life whatsoever. And I was at a brewery with my mom. In where? Berkeley? Berkeley, California, right downtown near the university. I was sitting by this window and I was probably drinking an IPA or something like that. And she just looks at me and she's like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, well, I don't love that question. And she, she was like, I think you should go to wine school. And I mean, I was really taken aback. I'd never really thought about wine in my life. And I'm not from a drinking family at all. So I asked her where she came up with that. She said, well, you like knowing a lot about something. She's like, you, you like to have niche interests and skill sets. And she's like, and also you're like strangely good at interacting with rich people. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, I guess you're right. And you know, you're 20, you're like living with your parents. Such a like classic millennial story of like, I don't know what's happening with my life. And so I was feeling very like both vulnerable and receptive to something new. I ended up enrolling in a school that no longer exists, unfortunately. It was one of the culinary schools that kind of got absorbed into others during the pandemic, but it was, it was the French Culinary Institute, which is sad because I always wanted like a, like a hoodie yeah, yeah. or something. And I looked for my Now you're wearing a sweatshirt that just says sausage on it. You know, this yeah. is actually, this is, um, I think it's a woman-owned sausage brand called Seymour, and this was a, oh, this was a targeted ad on Instagram. <laughs> it's better than a French Culinary Institute hoodie, I'll just go out and right, say. But you were instructed by three master sommeliers who are essentially the ninjas of the wine world. Naruto Usamaki. One of them was, I mean, he must have been in his early, maybe mid-30s max at the time, and this was over 10 years ago, and he had just recently come off of being the sommelier for the French Laundry. So ah. that was kind of the vibe. Um, and this this was through the Court of Master Sommeliers, and that focuses more on, like, restaurant service, which is funny because I did not do any of that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I went straight into retail, so. <laughs> but you're a level two sommelier yes. in the Court of Master Sommeliers. I bet if you gave us the test for level one. Kalisa and I could pass it pretty much right yeah, now. That would be a fun thing to do for your show. I think so. I, but, yeah. you'll pass. but level two, I'll struggle. Like 90% or something like that of the people that can pass level one don't pass level two. So you are like a brown belt in <laughs> and wine. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Well, let's pour the first wine and we'll tell more of your story because your interesting rise to level two sommelier gets interrupted in a way that I think is incredible and makes it very brave that you're here drinking with us so brave. today. So brave. This is such a such a difficult thing to be doing. <laughs> so we're at the Leverett Co-op with the wine buyer and level two sommelier, Ken Washburn. Two wines enter, one wine leaves. Two men enter, one man leaves. 
What's the first one you want to pour for us, Ken? I think today we're going to do the Tacheron Pinot Noir. Just 100% Pinot Noir, uh, but instead of being from Burgundy or somewhere else in France, because it is French, it is from the Languedoc. Uh huh. Not your classic Pinot Noir spot, and that's part of why I chose it today, and we'll find out more about the other wine later. So let's do this one. All right. Languedoc is currently a place that is still French, but much more affordable than places like Burgundy and Bordeaux. This Pinot Noir looks, as they say, varietally correct. <laughs> Meaning that you can see through the red wine itself. Like if you were to have a watch, you would be able to hold it up to your, well, you just poured it all over your white notebook. I was trying to prove your point by uh, by trying to read my notes through the wine, but. Yeah, you literally dumped wine on it. And yet yeah, you, can, professional. you can still see the notes. I'm getting. This smells all cherry-y. Cherry is number one for me. What I love about Pinot Noir is for some reason it manifests itself as bricks to me. Like the smell of bricks. Mm. So you've been smelling bricks before. Yeah, I don't even know why I smell bricks or I'll be like, it tastes like <laughs> is bricks. Is one of your home improvement things? Probably. <laughs> and it's not as fruit forward as I thought it might be as a Pinot Noir from mm. the Languedoc. It is much more reserved, very elegant. All the wines that I end up really being crazy about are reserved or restrained mm -hmm. or subtle. All you want wine to punish you. It's not there to enjoy. If you become a wine snob, <laughs> It's all about punishment. How much did these vines suffer in the climate where they were growing when they had no water on a hillside? Ah, yes, it makes for great punishing wine to drink. Thank you, sir. May I have another? That's fun. I love that. Sour cherry. Mm. Really great acid. Definitely food pairing wine for sure. I want sausage Almost with it. You're savory. wearing a sausage sweatshirt. I think Pinot Noir and especially lamb sausage oh, are like a match yes. made in heaven. I get like a little bit more of that brick thing right after the acid. It's a dry earth thing. I just call it bricks because I think that's what bricks are made of. <laughs> that is I'm what just, bricks are made Yeah, I'm like, wait, how do they make bricks again? Is right. it Legos? Everything is awesome. Tacheron Pinot Noir is the wine one. Where we last left your exciting wine story, Ken mm -hmm. Washburn, level two sommelier, wine buyer, and now manager of the Leverett Village Co-op, kind of the only go-to store in the area for the people of Leverett. It's and the yet only store in Leverett. All of Leverett. <laughs> but right across from this corner, there's a thing that says the mall. That's actually where this store used to be. Oh! oh. Yeah, so <laughs> still the only store in Leverett. Yeah. On Rattlesnake Road, Rattle, Rattlesnake Gutter, but the store has shed its previous skin to be in a new building. Yeah, I like that. I don't see any real rattlesnakes here, which is good. When you became a level two sommelier, you're working with rich people in Berkeley and selling them wine in California. You go back to your homeland in the Dallas area. There was an interlude um, where I was a wine rep for about a month selling mediocre Pinot Noir in Portland, Oregon, uh -huh. which was a disaster. I think I lost $250 from the whole venture. Oh my. <laughs> what interrupted your wine career was your human body. In the way of many stories. <laughs> Tell us what happened. Well, a couple things happened in my mid twenties that were surprises. I became allergic to cats and I started getting migraines from drinking wine. So you dedicated your life and your studies to become a level two Somalia, a brown belt of master Sam levels, and then you're, it's now painful for you to experience. I remember the night that I really realized what happened is that I was in the Columbia River Gorge with another wine nerd, uh, my friend Sam Vickland, who works in Los Angeles now, and um, just a special shout out. We were drinking Cotarone out of a mug on the roof of my car looking at the stars. Awesome. It was, you know, just one of those moments. And I was like, oh my God, I'm getting a migraine again. And I was like, oh, wine gives me migraines. Like, this is what it is, you know? And I know a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff can happen in your mid-20s. Your body's suddenly realizing that it's getting older and it starts to attack you in all kinds of ways. But I felt like it was some sort of cosmic punishment or something that it was my career that was being immediately threatened and threatening to me. So it was, it was rough. You don't want to go to a trade tasting with all your friends if you know you're going to be needing an injection at urgent care later. You know, it was, yeah. it was really serious at the time. So I kind of, I kind of dropped it. For how long? 
until really working here. There was a brief period where I was only the wine buyer here before I was sort of selected to be the interim GM. It was so exciting. It felt really good. It felt really good. I'm on and I have a medication with me always that'll make a migraine go away. And so I feel like it's a lot, a lot more under my under control than it used to be. It's it's been really, really fun to be back. So we're not putting you in physical jeopardy by making you wine taste in this Thunderdome with us. We want it to be two wines enter, <laughs> one wine leaves, not, not like two, two wines enter and one leaves in a stretcher. Yeah, right. Or no, I think I think I will be perfectly fine. Great. <laughs> I'm so glad about that. What is the second wine here in the Wine Thunderdome at the Leverett Village Co-op, Ken Washburn? All right, number two is a brand new wine that um, one of my wine reps brought in and had me try, and I was so crazy about it. It's called La Cuva Rouge de Valais. It's from the Val d'Osta in northern, 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 northern Italy. Super high altitude. It turns out the Matterhorn, that amazing scenic mountain. Yeah. <laughs> Is literally in this part of Italy. So there are grapes growing. People are making wine basically in the foothills of the Matterhorn, which wow. I, I did not know. So this is mostly Nebbiolo. I'm just going to call it Nebbiolo. So the reason I chose this is because it's a Nebbiolo, you know, your classic northern Italian wine, but it's from super north. So again, we have a classic grape, one of Italy's two most famous and popular grapes, but it's from sort of an unexpected region. So that's uh, the link. That's the link. Cool. Pinot Noir, not from Burgundy, but from Languedoc and Nebbiolo, not from Piedmont. Piedmont. Piemonte. It's Piemonte. I knew my name was in it, but from farther north, the Matterhorn. That's yeah. kind of cool. It's really cool. Ricola. And I only learned that yesterday Googling it. I thought the Matterhorn was like 100% Switzerland. Yeah, me too. Right. But, yeah. The Alps cover a lot of territory. I mean, it's why yeah. Switzerland has to be Switzerland. Yeah. All right. All right, let's do it. The other connection, I think, is that Nebbiolo is another one of those grapes that is light in color. Not necessarily as light in color as Pinot Noir, but you oftentimes can see Ooh. through it as well. This one smells more Italian, which is mm. cherry like the other one, but leather and cherry. That's yeah, the difference for me. I was going to say like, great, like dry cherry, like raisiny. Yeah. The other one was so, so, so fresh, like almost mm -hmm. underripe in a way. It's a cherry pie, but without the sweet. I love it. Oh, that's rich. I honestly think this is gonna be one of my Thanksgiving recommendations. Mm. Oh, yeah, I can see that. The other interesting part of your wine story, Ken Washburn, here at the Leverett Village Co-op, is that we've heard a lot about what you learned about in Berkeley, Portland, and Dallas, but your connection to Western Massachusetts and what brought you back here, you have connections from your youth to the 413. I do. Not technically the 413, right across the border. So I actually went to boarding school in New Lebanon, New York. So oh, just, I thought you were in the Berkshires. Ah. I'm so sorry. It's, I mean, the, if you were talking about a geographical region without borders, I went to boarding school. They, they, they think that they're the Berkshires. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was keenly aware of Northampton, Greenfield, mostly Northampton. We love to go to Faces on a boarding school oh, trips. God rest Steve Vogel, founder right, of Faces, who died, who this, died week this week at oh, age 92 no. and was a friend of mine and I, oh, I miss shoot. him. Wow, Faces was such a, I mean, it, yeah, it was, it was a real institution. I also was, um, we spent a lot of time in uh, Great Barrington, et cetera, and that was, that was always such a pleasure. It lured you back. It did. I, uh, I was on, I was staring down the barrel of my 30s and I realized I did not want to be living in Texas, which I really got out just in time. I was looking everywhere in the valley, you know, Amherst, Northampton. I, I would have lived anywhere. And I, the first place I found was uh, Turner's Falls and I've been in the same apartment for five years. Your pet rats are the delight of our village <laughs> and oftentimes the pet of the week in the Montague Reporter, our tiny little village newspaper. There's yes. a pet of the week? I will shout out pet of the week. It's usually adoptable pets. Did not know that when I submitted my rat oh. Wallace to pet of the week i thought it was Wait, just did like people write in and try to adopt your rats no it was pretty obvious that she had a good home okay. and um yeah the rats i wish i could say they're doing well they're really not oh, no. <laughs> oh. best wishes to your rats <laughs>
<laughs> That's the first time I've wished well to rats. They're fragile little things. Yeah. Sometimes we'd see it taken for walks past the yeah. rendezvous. So cute. Oh, wow, you saw that. That's so funny. <laughs> I do remember seeing you at the Vu one time and you were wearing this really great shirt about dumplings. Kung Fu dumplings. Oh, it says, I hate dumplings. Just kidding. Can you imagine? Which is the slogan of an actual Chinese food restaurant in P-Town called Kung Fu Dumplings. And I will wear that shirt on Monday when we talk about Chinese food with the acclaimed local author, Grace Lin, because we're going to have a big Chinese food episode on Monday. Yes, yeah, she wrote this book looking at the legends behind the things you eat in Chinese restaurants. And it's really fantastic. That sounds awesome. It is really awesome. It's awesome, except I hate dumplings. Just kidding. Just kidding. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's time to vote here in the Wine Thunderdome, Leverett Village Co-op in beautiful Leverett. Let's vote on these two wines, the Tacheron Pinot Noir from an atypical Pinot Noir spot in the Languedoc in France, as opposed to Burgundy, and the Rouge de I Wish I Had My Reading Glasses de Valet from far northern Italy. Ricola. Is literally in this not from Piedmont, where the Nebbiolo is most famous from. Anybody want to vote first? Wow, this is hard. Both of these wines I just find to be so, so wonderful, especially for the price. I mean, these both are really good. Those both are really good. They are also kind of polar opposites. Like, the Italian is much heavier. Anybody ready to vote? How do we vote? What's the procedure here? You just say which one you like. If you had to pick one wine to leave with today, what would that wine be? Well, I don't because I work here, but um, let's see. I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the Italian, the Rouge de Valais. I also vote for the Italian. So no matter what you vote, Calice. <laughs> well, then I feel better about voting for the Pinot Noir because I want the lightness. All right, all yeah. And again, everyone's a winner with both of these wines. Seriously, these so are both good. great. And everyone's a winner when you come to the Leverett Village Co-op because <laughs> it's like a little vacation spot in the middle of where you live. I know that the Leverett Co-op, it's struggling to be doing well. Come and hang out here and buy stuff from here or become a member. I will say something that's very cool about the co-op that not very many people know about is that we have a pouring license. So you can actually have a glass of wine or a can of beer here on the premises. Oh, wow. That is very rare. Yes. How can that happen? And I don't even want to ask because questions because I don't want it to stop. <laughs> we have pizza nights on Friday, house-made pizza, usually live music, and you can get a glass of so wine. So we have to come back for Pizza Quest, I guess. I, I guess so. Oh, Pizza We have a whole pizza segment, too, Ken. Well, that sounds exciting. We'd love to have you back. <laughs> Big thank you to the Leverett Village Co-op for welcoming us there. It was so harrowing to get there, but it's worth it. Yeah, not for me so much. But no, it was, it was, uh, but coming from Springfield, some of those roads kind of look not like roads. Yeah, and being the only game in town for Leverett, I think, uh, if you're in the area, I mean, you should, like, you might want to consider For not being the only game in town, it. like, they're incredibly lucky to have the selection that they have oh, there. Yeah. Like, it is good, yeah. and not, like, just because it's the only game in town. And that's that's all I'm going to say. Here's the big question, Khalees. We've, this week, yes. we've had, like, a banner week in regards to things that are going on. I know, so, so much. So how do you choose with one human body being in one place at one time, well, which things you're going to do. Lucky for me, I am a giant nerd, so I have piles of dice, and that was basically how I did it. No, I asked my friends, and like sometimes it's nice to go to concerts with friends because like I'm a person who will go by themselves, but like I'm supposed to hang out with people this weekend, and they chose which one we went to, even though there was a lot of stuff on offer. Should we shamelessly plug where your band will be playing this weekend? No, because you can't go. Why? It's sold out. What? <laughs> I was just going to say, Yes. So, so if you happen to be running the mar the half marathon at Treehouse, you can come and see the Soul Magnets. But otherwise, you're a little out of luck because it's sold out. Dang it! 
That was going to be my Sunday afternoon plan. Well, I mean, like, you can probably talk your way into it. I've seen you do this. <laughs> on more than one occasion. You're not wrong. <laughs> Next week on The Fabulous 413, we'll discover the interesting folklore behind your Chinese food favorites with local Newbury and Caldecott honoree Grace Lynn. But you know what? Dumplings. I mean, I, dumplings I, are genuinely the best. No, I don't like them. You Just kidding. Can you imagine? <laughs> And we'll slip between stanzas with erstwhile poet laureate of the United States, Rita Dove, who will be at Shakespeare and Company for the Wit Festival. We'll go rowing on the Connecticut River with the mayor of Holyoke, Joshua Garcia. And we're planning on broadcasting live from the Fresh Grass Festival at Mass Mocha in North Adams. Special thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Ethio Color, John Cleary, the Young at Heart Chorus, Belle and Sebastian, Tina Turner, and this band that you're hearing now, Orchestre Tout Poussant Marseille. Duchamp, as well as our live guests, San Salvador, who are playing tonight at Mill Pond Live. It is going to be so, so good. La Chana Tovar.